put the rock first. Now, I didn't choose that because I think that you're elementary students. I put that because sometimes we need a visual thing that we can put into context into our life. That makes sense. Why did Jesus in the New Testament teach in stories? Because we remember stories, don't we? You remember stories that your parents told you, that your grandparents told you? Um, I want to take some time uh, right now to tell you this. We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. The Old Testament. Okay. I want you to find the book of Matthew, and when you find the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, I want you to go left. (laughs) To the first book that you see, you're probably going to come to a white page, and then there's going to be this really, not not a weird name, but you're going to come to this guy's name is Malachi. We're going to be in the third chapter of Malachi, but while you, while you turn there, just, just uh, listen to some things that we have going on today. Uh, some people asked me, they said, man, how was your week? And I think that I, I, think that I, I expressed myself, um, and they thought that I had too much coffee already. I said, man, I really don't know that my week could get any better at all. I, re- I, re- I really don't. And they said, well, well, did everything go right for you this week? No. Well, did somebody give you money? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, then why was it a good week? Today, we have what's called First Step. And if you open your worship handout all the way, you can, you can learn about this. This is something that you may want to try when we do First Step next time. Or if you want some more information about our church today, um, you can read up here on the top uh, right-hand corner talks about first step. From 1 to 3 p.m. today, we, we, you know why it's a good week? We have people that are interested in joining our church. There are, people, there are churches that would love to have the problems that we have, the, the things that are happening. Guess what? You know something else? You, know, you want to know why my week was really cool? I'm 35 years old. Wow, praise God. No, no, listen. Listen. I was, ra- I was raised in church. Remember I told you that I was voluntold to go to church? Yeah. Some of you have taken this into practice with your kids. I voluntold you to go to your room. Well, I don't want to say... Well, I didn't... You know, it's like you get asked, but you really don't. Okay? But I was, I was, I was taken, drug, carried, whatever, to church. I'm very thankful for that. But some people aren't. And this week, I got to talk with a guy that's around my age. And do you know what happened? He said, I don't know about this relationship with Christ. I don't know if it's real. I don't know what it means. But I want it. (laughs) And Jesus gave it to him. Isn't that cool? If, if If that doesn't light a fire under your hiney, and you don't get excited about what God is doing, it's very hard to start a spiritual fire with wet wood. We must be ready to see what God has for us. Does your week always go great? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Today we have, we have first steps on May 1st. L- listen, it just keeps getting better. Are you ready? On May the 1st, we're going to have a dunked party. Ha! By the way, if you need directions to first steps, see me right over here, right as soon as this service is over, and I can tell you how to get where we're going. Okay? Other than that, dunk party, May the 1st. May the 1st, May the 1st, May the 1st. We went over this last week, if you were here. May the 1st, May the 1st. May the 1st, we have one service. Not next week, the 24th, we have both of them. Okay? But May the 1st, we have one service at 10 a.m. So for the 9 o'clock people, they get to sleep in. You have to get to church earlier. <laughs> okay? We're going to dunk people. Isn't that cool? They're, they're, they, they said, hey, we, we're followers of Jesus Christ. We've never been baptized. Will you dunk me? <laughs> When you're growing up in the pool, nobody asked you to dunk them. Remember, that was a game, right? But on May the 1st, we're going to take this off. There's a baptistry here, and we're going to baptize people in accordance to what Jesus tells us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And after that, we eat, right? Chicken wings. Woo! KFC chicken wings, right? Yeah, so come be a part of this. If you're a connectionite, that means a, a person of connection, bring a finger food. I told them the 9 o'clock service because I didn't think they were awake. I said, contrary to popular belief, chili is not a finger food. Okay? Some of them still didn't laugh. I, they needed more coffee. Okay, but finger food, uh, two liter of soda, diet soda, whatever you want. We do have sweet tea aholics here. So if you want to bring a gallon of Prairie Farm sweet tea or, some, or you make your own sweet tea or something, uh, bring some sweet tea or some drinks like that. Um, 
We're going to get into something today that I wish was as easy as to talk about as chicken wings and sweet tea, but it's not. I really, really, really wish it was, but it's not. You can take these three words. I'm not going to. Please don't have a panic attack. You could ha- you take these three words, and I, I could probably preach for at least a year on just these three words. I know, you're thinking, please don't do that. <laughs> Make me first. This is God speaking to us. Now, what makes this very, very difficult to talk about is because of this. I'm a human. And I'm preaching to other humans that are imperfect. We're all imperfect. Yet, we all strive, we should strive, you're a follower of Christ, to make God first in your life. And we all fail, and we all have failed, and we all will fail. Pretty easy topic, huh? Trying to talk from an imperfect person to imperfect people to honor a perfect God, but we still mess up. In Malachi... We're talking about some... some the Malachi was written 400 years before Christ, and where it was recorded in, when he comes in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. He's 400 years before that, so it makes it roughly 2,400 years ago from today. And we think, how in the world can something 2,400 years old be of any relevance today? We are going to show you today. It blew my mind, in fact, how relevant, how culturally even it was correct. But when we talk about putting God first, we often have to do this because we get in the way, right? So we have to ask God to show us how to move, where to move, what to take out, what He wants to take out. That's even scarier. Sometimes we can take out the things that we want to take out, and that's great. But when God says, I want this out, sometimes it's like Gollum says in Lord of the Rings, and he says, my precious. It's got to be it's got to be ours. We really like him and when God says, "Listen, this is something that I want to work with. You need to put me first." We're often e no no. See, we we're standoffish people. And because we're going to be talking about something that is so heart related, mind related, I want to ask God to deal with us today. I want to ask his Holy Spirit to just speak to us, speak through me. You've already spoken through the songs. You realize that how lucky you are to be in a place where you get to sing out publicly to a God that created you? And you don't have people, we don't have to have you know, guards outside the building. We don't have to be quiet when we're in church. We have religious freedom. That, man, what a, what a, what a blessing. Let's pray. God, what a, t- what a topic this is. It's very difficult, very necessary. God, just allow my words to be your words. What you've taught me through the scripture that I can tell these people. God, and that we can learn together. Because it's so difficult. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're with us last week. By the way, if you ever miss a week, you can go to our website, connectionmtv.com. You can go to the archives. You can listen to the the older messages so you can keep caught up in the series. This is the second sermon of Make Me First. Okay? Uh, we're going to finish up the last part of chapter 3 of Malachi next week, and then we'll have the dunk party. Um, but if you're ever behind, you can check them out on our website. But last week, we talked about Elijah. Superstar. One of the superstars of the Old Testament. He called down fire on Mount Carmel. <laughs> if you're a pyro like me, that's a good day. Okay, Calling down fire. Wow, that'd be awesome. And he also challenged a widow, and he said... He said, make me, he uses the, these words, he says, make me first a loaf of bread. Before you make your son and you one, make me one. And it was the last dough and oil and flour that they had. And Elijah said, if you make me one, representing God in the story, he said, if you make me first, your oil and your, and your flour will never run out. <laughs> How cool. And we studied last week about her daily commitment and faith to God and how it lasted and it, keep, it kept on lasting until the drought was over. But it only came from a daily commitment, a daily, daily look at her faith. But like Elijah, Malachi was also a prophet. And a prophet's job was this. God spoke to the prophet, the prophet spoke to the people. How would you like to have that job? Now think about it. If they tell you something that you like to hear... No problem. What if they tell you something you don't like to hear? Like he often does. Prophets most of the time didn't have to encourage people 
to keep doing what they were doing. Most of the time they came to say, hey, you're doing what God said not to do. We like to be, do you like being told that you're doing something wrong? No. <laughs> I'll answer it for you. No. <laughs> the people in the book of Malachi are the Israelite people. They're God's chosen people. They're special. He loves them very much. Anytime you hear Malachi talk about these people, just put yourself in their place. Because he loves you like that. But Malachi comes in chapter 3, and in, in, earlier in, the, in, the, in chapter 1, he was, he was telling them, he said, listen, you need to come back to God, you need to change, you need to... So we get to chapter 3, and he talks about their commitment to God. Actually, he talks about their lack of commitment to God. It's, I told you to get really serious. <laughs> He's talking about their lack of commitment. He questions them. But the reason that he questions them is the whole time God is trying to use Malachi to turn these people from what they were doing back to what he wants them to do. And I know what you're thinking because they're going to ask the same questions in a little bit in the scripture. Why do we have to do what God says? Why? While we go through this scripture today, while we go through this message and you're in, the, you're in a time of maybe God spoke to you during one of the songs. Maybe He's going to speak to you during this message or in scripture. Maybe it's going to be something that's going to go in your head that you read this week. But I want to ask you one question. If you want to write it down in your worship handout, you're more than welcome to. But while we search this topic, maybe this week, I want you to think about this question. You ready? Does your relationship with God need to be reconciled? Do you need to be closer? I don't care how close you are to God. You are always able to get closer. And you think, man, one day I'm going to be in His presence. And that requires you to die. <laughs> if you're a follower of Christ, to be in the presence of God requires you to die. Okay, In, the, in His holy presence, with the, in, in heaven I'm talking about. You can be in His presence in worship. We're in His presence of the Holy Spirit now. But it will be in perfect, in perfect presence. If you, if you have your Bibles, look on Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to read through the first nine verses. I want us to get us a really good context of what he's doing. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when He comes? Who will be able to stand and face Him when He appears? For who will be like a blazing fire that refines... Who will be able to stand face and face Him when He appears? I'm sorry. For who will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes? In verse 3, He says, He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to Him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as He did in the past. At that time I will put you on trial. I'm eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat their employees of their wages and who oppress widows and orphans or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the Lord. I do not change. If you are looking for something to underline today, verse 6 is it. I am the Lord. I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. And now you return to, now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me with the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. This is 2,400 years old. Watch very carefully. Verse 9. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Have you seen the news? I don't talk po politics and especially don't talk politics from here. 
But my grandfather used to tell me stories of the depression. And I know some of you have heard this many times, but you need to get this. He said, Matthew, I hope that when you grow up, you get to see the type of church services that we saw in the Great Depression. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, we didn't have room in here. We had to open the windows. People sat outside. They did what they could to get to church. And I said, why did they do that? He said, because God was all that they had. And then he said something that scared me to death. He said, it's my prayer that one day you get to see people seeking God like that. But I don't know that it's going to happen because America is too spoiled. We're entitled. He said this. He said, until America puts God back first. God's not going to be first. See, we are founded on that, right? He says, you're under a curse. We, we can put ourselves in this store. This is 2,400 years old. We think sometimes, man, we have brand new problems. 2,400 years ago. 2,400 years ago. Look at your worship hand out in the very first blank. This is going to shape the whole sermon. I want you to really get this. You're not going to be able to just dissect this in 10 seconds. This is, good. This is one of those things that you think about and you keep thinking about and you keep thinking about. God is the giver of all things good. And if much is given, much is required. God is the giver of all things good, and if much is given, much is required. The more that you think about this, maybe this week, maybe you're going to get ready to go to lunch. Maybe you're coming to first step, and after first step, you're going to do whatever. I mean, it's 75 or 8 or what? It's, in my, in my temperature level, it's warm, and not hot outside. But, you know, I like the 60s, and I know some of you are like, will you just be quiet? We finally got a day of sunshine. Will you just be quiet? Okay, okay, I will. Listen, God is the giver of all things good. I, I went outside earlier and I said, man, God has given us so much sunshine that it's bright. If you walk out of this, this dark room and you walk outside later, you're going to bring your sunglasses. God is the giver of sunshine. Listen, He's also the giver of rain. He's the giver of your, of your family, of your friendships. If you're not old enough to have a spouse, maybe you've got some really good buddies, really good friends that you're growing up with. See, God, God gives us so much. All of you can see me. You can hear me. You probably walked in. You probably rode in a vehicle here. See, when you think about how good God is and how much He's given you, God is the giver of all things good. And much is given. If much is given, much is required. In Malachi chapter 1, God tells these people that He loves them. Is it good to hear that? My first job teaching, I taught a 13-year-old, taught, taught him for two and a half years to he was almost 16 years old. Okay? A young man, mom and dad were drug addicts. And he went to, basically he went to a, a school that was the last stop before juvenile hall. He had been in trouble. I, inter- I interviewed for this job that I was the only person to turn in a resume for this job. And I got it. Because <laughs> they said, you're the only one to turn in a resume. It's your job. And I said, why am I the only one? This kid, it's a personal one-on-one aid with a student. I said, "How? this can't be that bad. He goes, listen, this kid is a terror. I said, what do you mean he's a terror? Well, he's 13 years old. He's got in trouble for um, uh, robbery. He's got in trouble for all kinds of different things. Mom and dad are... And this is this list. And I thought, man. And I met Michael one day in Robinson, and we would drive to Effingham. I'd help him with his schoolwork, and then we'd drive home, and that was the end of my day. The second day that I took Michael to school, I took him up to school. He was interested because I hunted. Uh, he, and that, they, I mean, they seriously, they had talked to me about, you know, I don't know that I talked to him about hunting. This kid is a little different. And I said, man, you've got to relate to him somehow. Anyway, he found out that I hunted. said so he was really, he, he, was, he was just, he had told me that he'd seen wolves. And that he'd seen cheetahs and all kinds of other exotic things in Illinois that he was just trying to make a story with. And I said, I don't know about that. And the second day, we really kind of started hitting it off. And I'm thinking, this kid's not that bad. I mean, he's not bad at all. We're talking. We get home. He opens the van door. He says, he said, I'll see you later, man. And he jumps out. And I hear his dad say this. 
He's, he's 13. You ready for this? Michael, I don't want to see you here until it gets dark. Leave. And I instantly understood where all of this pain came from. Like that. We had a great relationship. He, he grew uh, in his studies and he, he became more educated and he, he was doing really good. Michael is an exceptionally mechanically inclined brain. At 15 years old, uh, we pulled into the, into the driveway to his house to pick him up one morning. And he gets in the car he says, good morning. We have a problem. I said, well, we have a problem with. He goes, your wheel bearing is going out in your driver's side. And I said, no, it's not. Get the van back. I said, after we dropped Michael off, I said, check with the guy. At the, at the barn, see about the driver's side wheel bearing. It was bad. Hey, his mind was incredible. He gets to be about 16 years old, almost 16 years old. He's complete. He's getting ready to go back to do his senior year at his regular high school. He's done phenomenally well. And I said, Michael, I, one day he had just a great day, and we got him a... And I tell you what, for six bucks, I like, I like change this kid's world. I bought him a $5 Little Caesars pizza and a liter of Mountain Dew. Because I knew that by the time Mountain Dew kicked in, he wouldn't be on the bus, the bus anymore. But I said, hey man, I said, I want you to know that I really am proud of you, and I love you. I said, I don't want to be weird. Talking to a 15, 16-year-old guy, or another guy, we don't, we don't say that. Okay. And I said, I said, Michael, I want you to understand that I love you very much. He said, what did you say? I said, I... As if it wasn't awkward the second time. I said, I, I love you very much. He, he just sat there and chewed on his pizza. He didn't have any reaction at all. He said, nobody's ever told me that before. God is the giver of all things good. That relationship with that young man changed my entire life. Changed my entire look on things. But God says this, I want to have a better relationship with you, you Israelite people. But He requires them to change. Whenever Michael got to that point, and it, by the way, he eventually said, he'll, every time he left the bus, he said, I love you, Matt, I'll see you tomorrow. And he would get out of the bus and he would hear, Michael, leave, I don't want to see you until after dark. He would get cussed at everything. God says, I love you. Sometimes I have to get your attention. When I was 16 years old, my dad got my attention really quick. You want to know how it, how it was? Give me the keys. I'm sorry, what? I don't think I heard you. He goes, how about give me the keys now? I, I understood him when he said that. And he said, listen, I love you, but... Sometimes we don't like the but. I love you, but there are consequences for when you don't do the right thing. The Israelites were getting ready. They were, they were, they were having this happen to them. Look at verse three, or chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to scoot through Malachi. Look at this. Look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The message of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. If you have an office... Well, think about that. If you have an office and your title was your name plus Lord of Heaven's Army, is this not the coolest title in the world? How authoritative. They would have understood militant thinking. They understood war. They understood conquering. They understood death. They understand this. When God says, I'm the Lord of Heaven's Armies, He is talking through Malachi. These are His words. In your Bible, you probably have the end of Malachi, and then there's a blank sheet of paper, maybe, and then there's a sheet of paper that just says New Testament on it. Okay? And it's okay if you look. It just, it's just a page, probably. Okay? And it's white. You know that's there for a reason? Malachi wrote 400 years before the book of Matthew was written and Jesus Christ came to earth. For 400 years, God didn't say anything. No pressure. Teach your kids. Have them teach their kids. Have them teach your kids. Have them teach your kids. God doesn't speak. So he uses these prophets. He uses these prophets and he says, listen. Listen. For in 400 years, look, now watch this. This is God talking. I'm, gonna, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Who prepared the way for Jesus Christ? John the Baptist. Ding, 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 ding. 400 years later, it happens. Then he says, okay. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to the temple. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple when he was... A baby, right? 
All of a sudden, poof, he's here. But when it says all, it will suddenly come to his temple. Watch this. In John the Baptist, you can look in Matthew 11. You can look at what, what John the Baptist says. And it says, there's a man among you that you don't even know. <laughs> I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's the man. He's the Messiah. And he's here. John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus. In Matthew 11.10, if, if you want to jot that down, Matthew 11.10, we don't have time to go there. But um, in this other scripture, Matthew uh, said in the Lord, in this verse, is Jesus. So Malachi is 400 years pre-Messiah, pre-Matthew. Look at verse 2. Look how relevant this is today. Look at this. But who will be able to endure it when He comes? Who will be able to stand and face Him when He appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. This is a very interesting way to describe Jesus Christ, isn't it? Who holds a candle to him? Nobody. He shows his full human side in John 11.35 and it says Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Lazarus, his, one of his buddies, had died. He was dead for four days. What does Jesus do? He goes and says, man, he shows his physical nature and he cries. He also shows this. Hmm. Lazarus, he says three words. Lazarus, come forth. The dead man walks. Okay. He shows himself of authority. He says, who will be able to endure it when he comes? The, the Pharisees argued with Christ. They didn't believe him. He was such a revolutionary game changer. Listen, I can forgive sins, he would say. God desires to purify. When He talks about the blazing fire and refines metal, does anybody... There was like four people in the entire nine o'clock. You're missing out. Has anybody watched Gold Rush? Have you ever seen this show? Gold Rush to... My people. I'm going to hang out with the 11 o'clock. We're going to have a... Maybe we can watch Gold Rush the next season. No. What do they do? They take, they take the metal and it's in little bitty flakes and they find gold flakes in the ground. And when they get enough flakes, they take it to a person that melts it down. Why do they melt it down? Because there's impurities in it. When you, when you fire it up and you melt it, the impurities come up and they scrape it off. And you're left with a solid piece of as pure as we can get gold or silver, whatever metal it is. But when you purify it, you heat it, and everything... I think this is really cool. When you heat it, the good stuff sinks. You just... Right off the top, we get the, get the bad stuff out of there. God desires to do that with us, only He's not going to heat you up. Thank goodness, right? He doesn't put you in a bowl, He doesn't heat you up. What does He do? If you have the Holy Spirit inside you, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and He lives inside you, this is what He wants to do. He wants to just go, click, click. And He wants to turn on a spiritual flashlight inside you. And this is what He wants to do. All of everything will come to light if, you, if we just blacked out this whole room. And I had a flashlight. Wherever I pointed that light, it would illuminate something, and I could see what I'm, who I'm looking at, where I'm looking at it. God says, anything that comes that shows up, almost on this this spiritual X-ray, I want to get rid of it. Now, this is what we think. We think this, now, guys. I'm just going to talk to you for a second. You're not the only ones, but since I'm a guy, I can relate better to you sometimes. Guys are to be. Only a couple things in this world. We're to provide for our families or whoever, and we're to be strong. You hear kids play baseball all the time. I heard it whenever I play baseball. You trip, you fall, you do something, rub some dirt on it, get back up, right? You're tough? Here's the deal. You want to be so tough, and you want to put on such an external, external... I, listen, I don't care if you can pick up a tractor or bench press a bulldozer. By the way, if you can do either of them, come to my house. I would like to see it. Never seen that happen. But if you can bench press a bulldozer, you think, man, I can just take this, this can of soda and I can just crush it. Man, if you think you're just, mmm. But inside, all of us that think like that, there's a little bitty piece somewhere inside us that has a little bitty door that we keep locked that has some very, very strong insecurities in it that we like to keep hidden. These are the things that God wants to shine the flashlight on. He says, these things, like, we think, man, we can, we can do anything. And God says, you know, you think that when you're in front of people, but you really don't think that you're that strong when you're alone, do you? I didn't create you to think like that. And we keep these things all, all bottled up and all inside us. And God says, I want to take that stuff, and I want... 
to, I want to illuminate you and I want all that stuff to come up so I can see it on a spiritual x-ray and I want to get rid of it. Why do you want to get rid of it? Because my son died for it. That's what God would say. Because my son died for it. You deserve it. You've claimed the blood of Christ on your life. I want to get rid of it. And some of you are saying, man, you are pretty animated about this. We actually have a ministry at our church that helps God help you do that. Friday nights at 7 o'clock, we have Celebrate Recovery. Wow. Preacher's talking about Celebrate Recovery. I go. <laughs> oh. And some of you right now are thinking of me in a different light. It's okay. I know that by, by letting God shine that light into my life and He shows me those things that I need to work on, that I can have a better relationship with Him and like He's trying to get with these Israelites back to Him. He talks about things about the blazing fire and refines the metal. Look, at the very last part of verse 2, it says, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. It's the original Clorox. Okay? Thank you for laughing. This is good. Okay? It's like, it's like the original Clorox. Listen, the Bible says that He can take somebody that's just completely filthy and dirty and He makes them freshly white like snow. That's better than Clorox. I, listen, I put stains in, in baseball pants plant when, I, when I caught. I was a catcher. Not clean. Okay. I would put stains in pants that simply would not come out with Clorox. And God says, there is nothing that I can't wipe clean. And that's what He's trying to get across to us today. Look at verse 3. Look at He. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning, burning away the dross. And He will purify the Levites. Who are these people? Very, very quickly. The Levites were the Israelite leaders. Also, they're very important. The priests came from the tribe of Levi. Huge deal. Big deal. Well, how big of a deal is it? If you want to search and you want to go back, when Joshua crosses over into the promised land, look at who carries the Ark of the Covenant. Look who steps into the Jordan River and it stops flowing. It's them. And these guys are the real deal. And he says, he says, look, I, I want to purify the Levites. Because, he says something very, very sharp here. Look, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to God. Do you know what he has to say once again? Because they're not doing it now. I said this, and it's, it's, a, really, it's a really good way to, to analyze this. If you've ever played in the snow, and you have little kids with you playing in the snow, and they're all bundled up like this, like they look like they're wrapped in bubble wrap. Like this, and they can't move, let alone build anything. But you say, when you, when you, when you, when you open that door and say, you can go into the snow, and he's like, Fah! about 878 miles an hour, as fast as they can go. Most of the time, they play outside for three or four minutes, and you see, you see this, this, shoom, 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 just become this. I had a friend of mine one time, he had full, it was really cold, and he had shot a duck or a goose, and it went over into this, this muddy cornfield. And he had waders on. Much the same story. Very strong guy, really good athlete, and he takes off running after this goose in mud in waders. And we see him, and if you and if you could like just replay the whole story, he's like running like this fast. He goes, yeah, and he just stops. You you slow down in our spiritual journey. If that's us, we shoot out the door to play in the snow, or spiritually we shoot out the door. To, to serve God. When we became a Christian, we thought, man, we are on fire. We're going to do everything that we can. We're going to jump out and do everything that we can. And all of a sudden, life happens and we slow down. Sometimes we don't just stop. We go back to the truck. We just say, I'm just done with this. I can't do it anymore. And we get so, so away from what God wants Him to do. Look at verse 4. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to Him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as He did in the past. Now, we're catching up with these Israelite people. They've been through some stuff. They've been captive and enslaved in Egypt. They've been enslaved under captivity in Babylon. And right now, there's, there's far less. Some even claim almost 10% of what was there of the Israelites that when they crossed the Red Sea. This is a big deal. They're diminishing. They're getting smaller. I wonder why. And we catch up with them. And God says this. Accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah as he did in the past. 
Then once more, God will accept. Then once more. You know what happens? God says, if you will change, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, I can change your life. Now, in their minds, they're saying this. We're God's chosen people, aren't they? With that, they have that pompous. I'm enabled. I'm an Israelite. I'm in the Old Testament. I'm a big deal. And God says, when you turn back to me, I will make your offerings acceptable. Sometimes I feel like they did. Sometimes I say things that I don't mean. And they're coming across, they're coming, in, they're coming completely across like they're entitled. Remember that God is the giver of good things. And when much is given, much is required. They had been given so much. And much had been required of them. If you have your worship hand out, look at the next thing. This is very elementary. We must remember that God wants us to put Him first in everything. I know, some of you are going to go, I'm not going to have any trouble remembering what Matt preached about this Sunday. Because we said, God has to be first like 7,000 times. Saying something and doing something are completely different. If you use two-thirds of Nike's slogan, this becomes crazy hard. Ready? You can say this all day long, but watch this. Do it. Everything. Listen, Him first in everything. And some people are like, I can't, I can't do everything. As my girls would say, you can say this and it's easy peasy. No problem. We can do this all day. And then when you say do, when you say do, God wants to be first in your relationships and your friendships. He wants, you to, he wants to be first in your finances, in your job, in your marriage. I know, some of you are going, you don't know who I work with. Some of you just said, you don't know who I'm married to. <sighs> Keep that for yourself. God wants to be in everything. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 on the screen. Look at this. God is telling them what He expects. It is very easy for me. I work, I work for a person, sometimes part-time, whenever they need extra help. You know what my job is? Now, I like to really beef this up when I talk to people. Like, I work at a construction site. No big deal. Do you know what my job is? I carry slabs of concrete from here to there. That's it. Nothing involved with construction, but I'm on a construction site, so therefore I'm like, hey, you know. My construction, my construction skills are zero, all right? Zero, zero. But I know that the guy that I work for, he says this. I want you to carry this, once we cut it, to the trailer so we can haul it off. That's pretty simple, right? Or I want you to hold this. I want you to measure this. I want you to do this. Matt, carry this. I can do that. And God's giving these people instructions. It's very hard for me to work for somebody like this. They just sit there. And they don't say a single word until I do something wrong. I can't stand that. I, just, I would just rather... I would, now, I have... I come from a... I mean, some, most of my uncles and, were military people. They, they said do it. And you just did it. Okay? It wasn't... It, it's very difficult for me. So God makes it very, very plain to these people. Here's what you do. Look at verse 5. He says this. At that time, I will put you on trial. Oh, yes. Anybody wake up this morning and go, Yes, I can't wait to be on trial. Watch this. Anybody ever been on jury duty? How many people like jury duty? See? You did? Oh, no, there's no hand. Okay, you just scratched. Okay, never mind. Nobody! <laughs> I haven't talked to very many people that said, Oh, I love, I love jury duty. Because somebody's on trial. Now listen, at this time, I'm going to put you on... This is God talking. This is not okay. Do you know if God's the judge what you deserve? Death. At that time, I will put you on trial. I'm eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob have not already been destroyed. He says a whole lot here, but watch. 
When Jesus comes 400 years later, he makes mincemeat out of this. Because like this, in the, in the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that was at the well, Jesus goes to her and he shows them the importance, his disciples were with him, he shows the importance of women. If you want to, think, if you want to see how Jesus talks about the poor, look at the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to think about how, how Jesus thinks about widows and orphans, look at what he did when he was hanging on the cross like this, and he looked at his, his buddy John, the disciple that he loved, and he said, he said, John, behold your mother. He took care of his own mother in his own death. See, he, he abolished this stuff. But look at number 6. Verse 6 says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob have not already been destroyed. Now wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. So God gives Malachi a message. Malachi goes to his people. Can you imagine being one of these guys? And he goes, basically, ooh, the only reason that God hasn't like destroyed you with smoke, fire, or a bomb or something is because he made a promise to Jacob. Other than that, you guys deserve bad things. Now watch this. Why, why Jacob? Jacob's related to this guy named Isaac. And Isaac is the son of another Old Testament superhero named Abraham. And Abraham and God had a covenant in Genesis. And God says, I don't change. I don't change. I don't manipulate anything. I don't, I don't change. I'm always the same. And God promised Abraham's descendants that what? They would number the sand on the seashore. Basically, God, do you think that they would have understood this? Absolutely. They, this would have registered very, very clearly with them. Look at verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? This doesn't seem like it when you just read this, okay? This doesn't seem like it. First of all, have you ever known anybody that you think has the... You've heard this expression, you have the patience of Job? You work with anybody that doesn't get upset very easily? I mean, they could have a flat tire. They could have a turkey hit their car on the way to work. And they're like, I was like, how was your drive? Oh, it wasn't bad. You know these people? Weird. Really weird. They're not weird. Listen, the patience that God has to have with us, I can't even begin to measure. The patience that God has had with me, I can't even possibly comprehend. But He shows the patience of Himself that it's never ending. He says, hey, now listen. I promised Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. That's the only reason that you guys are alive. So I'm waiting on you to change. And I'm just going to wait. Because I promised them, Right? But I'm going to do what I need to do to get your attention. And then they ask this smart aleck question. Look at this. Now you just read through this and we're like, eh. how can we return when we've never gone away? <laughs> you ever said something smart to your parents? We'll not, we'll not talk about how that ended. Okay? Usually it ended me being grounded, <laughs> flying through the air short distances. I'm just kidding. How can we return when we've never gone away? God, we haven't done anything. We're still right here. I read this and I'm like, man, you got a lot of guts saying that to God, man. And then I realized what I say to God when I say, you know what? I don't really have to change. You see what I'm doing down here, God? I'm doing everything for you. Man. I say the same thing. I don't have to change. I don't have to do what you want me to do. We're being, we're being successful in doing this. <laughs> look, at the la- look at the next to last blank. It's going to seem like a very, very elementary thing. God desires for us to return to Him. Listen, make Him first return. Make Him first return. I hope it sticks in your head. God wants us to return to Him now why? Why do we have to return? Because you and I, as, as followers or even non-followers of God, do something very, very well. We attempt to run in the exact opposite direction that God is. Case in point, 
Look in the Old Testament. Look at the book of Jonah. Runs away. Runs away. If God asks you to do something, sometimes we say, no, I can't do that. Listen, I've told you this story before, but those of you that are new with us, I told God. If you ever want to hear God laugh, just tell Him your plans, okay? I said, God, I'll go to Antarctica. I'll go to Africa. My wife would appreciate it if you'd call us to Hawaii. And I will do anything you want me to do, but there's no way I'm going to be a pastor. That worked. Well, didn't it? You run. We run. God says, man, I want to change this in your life. Or whatever your name is, I want to change this in your life. And we say, I don't need it changed. I just want it to keep the same. I want to have control. That's a very scary word. I want to have control. This is what these people had. They wanted to have the control. We say no. We say not now. God is the giver of all things good. And if much is given, much is required. If you possess... If you possess the Holy Spirit in your life and you have a relationship with God, you are required, Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and tell everybody about Jesus Christ. Show the people that you work with who Jesus is. Show them. Let God move you to a place. He deserves to be number one. Look at verses 8 and 9. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? It's never our fault, is it? You can read this and just blow right by this. What do you mean? Same context as this. If you've ever been around a teenager and you've asked them to do something, this is the same thing. You ready? Teenagers, I'm not trying to be offensive, but this is not only your word, but you use it well. Okay, ready? I want you to do this. <coughs> whatever that, whatever that whatever starts with. And I did it too. But we say, will you clean your room? <coughs> With me, it was, Matthew, will you, will you take out the trash? Oh, My parents got my attention. I told you last week, they pushed the reset on the Nintendo. Life was over. I lost all my game. Listen, but you asked, what do you mean? When did you ever, we ever cheat you? Basically, they're saying this. God, we have always been Israelites. We've never changed that. And you have used to say that you loved us and now you don't. What did we do? We didn't do anything. <laughs> Look at this. You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. If you read verse 8 out of context, some of you push the mute button and say, oh no, he's talking about money again. Watch. Tithes and offerings are due to him. God gives 100% of the good things in our life. We should want to give back. This is, not, this is not a New Testament tithe thing. This is something that goes all the way back to Jacob, all the way back to Abraham and Moses. In fact, Moses had to decree a law to the Israelites to say, don't tithe and give this much. You need to cut back. When's the last time you ever heard a pastor say, you need to give less money to the church? Never, exactly, exactly, exactly. And we're not going to start today, I'm just kidding. <laughs> listen, listen, Moses tells the people, he says, listen, you need to stop doing that because they were giving above their means. Watch this. I'm going to tell you this percentage based on some things that some theological people have studied on a percentage of what they gave. And some of you are going to be astronomically, whew, they gave 23%. A qu- almost a quarter of every dollar. Now, we think, oh, money. The original tithe, was, and we're going to find out in verse 10 and 11 next week, the original tithe was not money. More than likely, it was crops. It's so everybody could eat. But that's what they gave back because of the good harvest they got. They, gave, they would give back. And Moses said, you're giving too much. Why do they want to give much? Because they saw God move much. They were thankful. My grandpa told me growing up, he said, Matthew, we were in a depression. He said, we, didn't afford, we couldn't afford to tithe. And I said, well, how did, you, how did you give to the church? He said, we would show up, we would light the coal stove, and we would sweep, sweep, sweep the floor. And afterwards, he said, I would, we would sweep up and we would leave. That was, our, that was the way that we helped. Look at the last blank. We can't argue with this. We all have done this. In what ways have we cheated God? You have no idea how strong this question was that I had to answer in my own time talking to God. You can get alone this week, talk with God. Now, I'm not talking cheated in, a, in a, just a, a grave, nasty way. I'm talking about what are some things that we've just said no to for a long time that we know that God wants to do, for, uh, we, we want, He wants us to do. 
Malachi is talking with these people who need to return to God. And he's saying, listen, you haven't done what God said to do. That's what he's talking about. He goes, you haven't done what God's asking you to do. You haven't done what the things that God told you to do. Are you guilty of this? Yeah, we sure are. I'm going to pray for us. Whenever I, whenever I start praying, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Whenever I start praying, if you want to, if you're, if you're, if you're right here, if you, if you think already, you've already talked about this in your head with God and your conscience and, and the Holy Spirit, you say, you know what, there's some things that I, need, I may need to change. I mean, and you go into that little room, unlock it, and say, okay. There's a, there's a video by the skit guys that I love, and he says, when he's talking to God, and he says, be careful, you're not going to like what you see. We, man, we think, <laughs> he realized that Jesus died for that. <laughs> God just wants to get rid of it so we can have a better life. More, uh, uh, a life that honors Him more. But when I start praying, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out by name. We're just going to show God, hey, I need to do better at this. I need to honor you. I need to put you first. Let's pray. And lift your hands if you want. God, we thank you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. You can put them down. God, we thank you. That you have appeased all this payment for this sin and these things that we have in our life, God. And we are not going to get rid completely of these things until we die. But God, we ask right now in those areas that, we, that you're letting us know about. You're shining that light into our, into our spiritual life. And you're seeing those things that we have that, that conflict on our communication with you. And we ask, God, that you just be with these people, me included, and the people that have raised their hands, and even the people that didn't raise their hands, God, that you just begin to show them how you want them to change. Verse 6 says that you don't ever change. It's us that has. We've changed. We've gone away. We've ran. We've done whatever. God, we just ask right now for the strength to make that right, to turn back to you, to run towards you instead of away. God, we love you. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the word. We thank you for Malachi. We thank you for the, um, the promises that you give us, that you love us. Thank you for these people. God, I pray for first step today as we have people journeying to look at, at joining our church. I pray for the dunk party and the people that are going to be baptized. And God, I, just, I thank you for the people that traveled here today. God, the people that thought maybe, hey, this is just a regular Sunday, and they got up and they came to church, but God, you moved in their life in a way that they could say, this is not a regular Sunday. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do this afternoon, wherever we go to eat to red lobster or Applebee's, God, that we can honor you. We can honor you with what we do. In your name we pray. Amen.